Coming up, the NFL had a week they'd like to forget as Aaron Rodgers, Henry Ruggs, and the Odell Beckham Jr. saga headlined the bad and ugly of the high and mighty bulletproof shield. Oh, and my winners and losers for week nine. Michigan State was part of the top four in college football, but did not stay for long as they take the fall versus Purdue. We have another situation percolating regarding accusations of an owner's racist and misogynistic comments coming out of Phoenix. How will the NBA handle this? The Jack Eichel soap opera in Buffalo is over as he's been traded to Vegas. The Braves are world champs, but now the fun really begins. And is Canelo Alvarez considered an all-time great fighter? I'll go in-depth on all the above and plenty more as I navigate you through the world of sports. But first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people, to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, So then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, alright? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? is happening my good people greetings how are you how's it going how's everybody doing out there what is the latest and greatest hope everybody's well feeling fantastic in excellent spirits now that a sport has crowned a champion and has exited stage right the fall sports have now come to the forefront and you know who's got you covered as this is the j reels podcast with your host j reels for my first timers welcome aboard And for those who have been banging with me for now 223 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, November the 8th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. 
Another top four team in college football squanders their shot at making the Final Four on New Year's Eve as Michigan State falls at Purdue. I'll give you an idea as to who are the front runners to potentially represent the college football playoff, even with a few more weeks to go. But as topsy-turvy, zany, and even as frantic as it's been, I'll look into my crystal ball to see who's probably going to be in and who's most definitely going to be out. So I'll share that later on. Also, seven years ago, it was Donald Sterling, and now reports have surfaced that the Phoenix Suns owner, Robert Sarver, has been accused of racism and misogyny towards staff dating back several years, as ESPN has uncovered this report of salacious details regarding the aforementioned owner. How will this unfold? How is the team handling this? I'll discuss that as well as what's going on around the association The Buffalo Sabres and their franchise center, Jack Eichel. And I've been talking about this going back to the summertime. How they were posturing back and forth about surgeries, about trade requests, things of that nature. Well, it's finally come to fruition as Eichel gets sent to Vegas for players and picks. Is this a big risk for the Golden Knights, considering? And did the Sabres get enough in return? You know I'll get into that and everything that's happening on the ice. The Braves are your World Series champs, as you all know. But now, as we get closer to December 1st and the expiration of the collective bargaining agreement, we start to fasten our seatbelts to see if we're going to have to prepare ourselves for a long, cold, hard winter as negotiations, I'm sure, will either be at a stalemate, will they be ratcheted up? I'll explain later on with all that. Even Canelo Alvarez winning another title, is he an all-time great? Is this a guy that we're going to have to classify as being one of the top boxers of all time? I'll share that later on. Anything and everything you can shake a stick at in the world of sports, you know I got you covered as well as sharing my hero and zero of the week. Now that baseball has finally concluded, stretching into the month of November where I bet there were a lot of people had disdain or disgust knowing that baseball crept into Another month to where a lot of the purists will think that it should have been over sometime in the latter part or at least before Halloween. But now we don't have to worry about that anymore. Baseball has their own issues to deal with pretty much in the next few weeks. And I'll detail that later on. But with the fall sports here, we know the NBA has tipped off a few weeks ago. NHL has been more than a month right now, just about a month as far as their schedule goes. College football getting into the teeth of their own schedule as we look forward to conference championships and see what that Final Four will look like come New Year's Eve to start the process of crowning a champion in college football sometime in the first or second week of January. But we know, moving forward, it is going to be NFL-centric between now and, I would say, President's Weekend. We're looking at three months of solid pro football. We haven't even past the threshold of the halfway point although a lot of teams have played nine games but we still have a lot of teams that haven't even played eight games or if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers they have a game Monday night against the Chicago Bears they've played seven as of this recording but the one thing the NFL no matter what they could say what they could do how they could try to mask it and we know that they haven't even tried to do so but this past week If you're an NFL fan like myself, you're either disgusted or you just brush it off your shoulder as if nothing ever happened. And I'm going to be in the minority when it comes to this because 
There are a lot of people that they'll look at their own teams or their own fantasy teams, get involved with the gambling aspect of it, and that's why football is king and the impenetrable shield that is the NFL, we've seen time after time after time take several hits, several dings to that shield, but when we know, when it's all said and done, they just dust it off, they just break out the turpentine or whatever cleanser you want to use and then they'll just breathe on it to try to get whatever shine as beautiful as it possibly can be to make it look as bulletproof as it has been over the last 10-15 years but in my eyes people the league takes another hit on several fronts and where should I begin when we just look at the past week Do we take a look at the events in Vegas Tuesday morning to where a top wide receiver coming out of the draft last year and the star wideout of the Las Vegas Raiders decides to drive 156 miles an hour down just a regular street, not a highway, a street and plow into an innocent bystander with her dog to where the 23-year-old woman perishes with her dog and Ruggs and his girlfriend come out unscathed? Well, Obviously with some injuries, but they're still alive and breathing. The middle of the week where we had Aaron Rodgers test positive for COVID and then him trying to explain to the world how he's the smartest guy in the room and he's taken among the likes of other podcast hosts and whomever his other friends to get whatever advice when it comes to not taking a vaccine and just using homeopathic remedies or even holistic medicine so he could fight COVID in his own way without going ahead and either getting a Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, or Moderna vaccination. And then throughout the whole week, you had this unfolding saga with Odell Beckham Jr., his dad in particular, and the Brown organization especially Baker Mayfield, to where it culminated in a release on Odell Beckham Jr.'s birthday. And now, today, 4 p.m., he's going to be on waivers, and it's going to be a fight to the finish as to who's going to be able to pluck the embattled but talented wide receiver to be part of a playoff run here over the last nine weeks of the season. Now, granted, the latter pales in comparison to the first two, But I'll have to break it down real quick before we get to the actual games on the field. And sadly, this situation with Ruggs, as indefensible, inexcusable, and just downright awful, tragic on so many levels. Not only, first and foremost, did he end up killing this young woman and her dog. And 3.40 in the morning, where he's behind the wheel legally drunk, whatever his toxic levels were, 0.16, and we all know the threshold is 0.08. And for him to get behind the wheel, I don't care if he had the best night of his life or he was having the worst night of his life considering he had his girlfriend in the passenger seat. So I'm not privy to any of this. It's none of my business, but whether they were riding high off of a great night or about to hit a bottom because of an argument or whatever, and here he is trying to drive the streets like Grand Theft Auto if he's in a video game or the Fast and Furious as if it was a motion picture. But sorry, son, this is reality. And for you to even 
think to drive on a regular street, not a highway, 156 miles an hour? My guy, what are you doing? And I don't want to hear from the Kadarius Tonys of the world with his stupid tweet about, oh, we're young, everybody's going to make mistakes. 156 miles an hour? That's not a mistake. That was calculated. That was all him. And then he's thinking that he's probably the only guy on the planet that's driving a car. And obviously in the Vegas area, he's thinking, ah, I got this, no problem. And then here he goes. He plows into the back end of a Toyota RAV4 to where he kills this woman and her dog. And he and his girlfriend come out unscathed. But then you can't even wrap your head around how is it that he's the one driving the car and they're still alive where the woman gets hit from behind. Of course, the car explodes and she perishes with her pet. I know Ruggs has to be counting his blessings and I'm sure that's what he's been doing over the last six, seven days. But man, forget about what were you thinking. Why couldn't you even pick up the phone to say, hey, somebody has to pick me up because... I can't drive. And of course, he's not going to do that. I'm sure he wasn't tripping over his shoe tops. But again, just the level of irresponsibility. And again, Kadarius Tony, please, nobody wants to hear from him saying, as I mentioned before, everybody makes mistakes. I'm paraphrasing here. Y'all are tripping. You don't even know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, nobody wants to hear from you. Nobody. And for you to even condone that or for you to even give a pass to that, You need to get your own priorities in order. Because what he did, he should be locked up and thrown in jail for the rest of his life. Because this wasn't a fender bender. This wasn't just a minor accident making a U-turn or making a turn in the light or anything. No, my guy plowed right into another car. Taking the life of a human being. And we know two weeks prior to that, they had to deal with the John Gruden fallout. And now they have the situation with Ruggs. And I get it that the teammates want to be supportive, Derek Carr. And I get it, he is human. And you try to embrace him as much as you can. But the one thing you can't embrace is the decision that he made. You can't. I don't care who, I don't care if it's your own mother. Because I know if that was my brother, my son, and he was still alive to tell about this. I would have to tell him, what in the hell were you thinking? I get it, 22 years old, you're young, you think you're bulletproof, you're, of course, going to come out as if nothing happened. You feel like you got your whole life ahead of you. Well, now his whole life is gone because of one decision. Or maybe two, drinking and getting behind the wheel, but worse, driving almost 160 miles an hour down a regular street or boulevard. I don't even know what else to say about it. There's nothing else to say. He's done his career. He should be locked up and thrown away. The key, etc. As I've said, there's nothing more to even discuss about it. There isn't. He literally threw not only just his NFL career away, he threw his life away. And it's just very sad. But the NFL, the shield, bulletproof, dust off the shoulder. That's number one. Number two, Aaron Rodgers. I know he's a guy that We've seen whether in interviews or him trying to expand his horizons a little bit with the whole Jeopardy guest host many months ago and him trying to be a little progressive, 
not only just as far as his career, but obviously his thoughts. And he has a right to do that. And I'm definitely not knocking that by any stretch of the imagination. But he got caught out there with his pants down. And he's lucky that he wasn't here in New York. Because the Green Bay media, it's easy to get on them because you only have but a handful of writers. And they're not going to be as aggressive or try to pounce on any little inch that he may give that media. And Rodgers even mentioned that in his interview with Pat McAfee, how if there was a follow-up question that he would have explained it further, if that happened in New York, Philadelphia, Boston, forget about it. He would have been slaughtered and probably still be slaughtered as I'm speaking right now. Because for him to come out to say that, and he was asked, I believe the question, have you been vaccinated? And he says, yes, I've been immunized. Well, he said yes. So what he's trying to tell you right there is that he answered the question based on vaccination so he said yes but then he says immunized and he tried to be cute there and be the smartest guy in the room by I'm sure a lot of the members that were present or on zoom or whatever to say oh okay so I guess we shouldn't ask for a follow-up question I guess that it's safe but as we all know it's nonsense because he was tested positive for COVID didn't play in the game yesterday against the Kansas City Chiefs end up losing the game Losing their status as, for right now, a top seed in the NFC. And who knows if he's going to be available to play this coming week in what's going to be, I'm sure, another week of the Aaron Rodgers saga of what's going on in his life and a lot of pounding that he's taken in the media based on his answers the other day in regards to him taking this or him being uh, immunized, I should say. So now, as we try to sift through all this, and yes, it's easy to pound Rodgers here, a thousand percent, and I understand that, what, I'm going to get another pound of flesh for the guy. A, I got nothing personal against him. B, we all know he's a great quarterback. C, yes, he tries to be that guy that's going to be above everybody else with his answers and his, and you could see by his answer with the whole, yes, I've been immunized. He had that look where he's just like peeking right below his ski cap and trying to hope and pray that nobody else follows up with the question because he knows it's going to be bombarded or he's going to be bombarded with a ton of questions where he's going to have to answer truthfully or in his case, maybe untruthfully. But yeah, he looks like a horse's ass here. Because now, if you're the Packers, the organization, etc., not to say that you can't wait to get rid of him, but now you got to hold your breath to hope that he steers clear from any and everyone for the most part between now and the middle of February. Because as you saw yesterday in Kansas City, there is no way that the Green Bay Packers are going to win a playoff game, let alone go to the Super Bowl. So now he's going to have to be pretty much put around his own protective bubble. And people could say, well, hey, he made it through last year and the first nine weeks of this year. Okay, that's great, but what the hell is going to happen here in the next three months? He says he's been taking precaution. Obviously, he didn't. There were photographs of him at a Halloween party maskless, even though he says that I wear a mask everywhere. Okay. Obviously, we don't follow the guy. We don't have a camera into his life. We can't see if he's going into a supermarket with or without a mask at the facility. Same deal or going to a buddy's house, whomever. Or he's with his fiance and they have a bunch of people over. Who knows? Obviously, we're not a part of his life. But if you're a Packer fan, you have to wonder, 
And I'm sure the organization knows that this is it for Aaron Rodgers this year. Whether they go on to a Super Bowl and they win with Rodgers, or if they lose in the first round without him. This is it. Because they don't have to deal with these shenanigans anymore, and they feel, and I'm sure, that they have become tired of this act. So that's the deal with Rodgers. And then the last thing with the Otto Beckham Jr. situation. Now his father comes out with this 11-minute video highlighting how his son was open and how Baker Mayfield isn't getting the ball to my son, taking shots at him, hashtag big facts. You got to go into it. I'm not going to get into great detail about it. I got to get to the NFL and what happened in week nine. But with the Browns, that was a match... I'm not going to say made in hell. Let's say it was a match made in purgatory because as much of a talent that Odell Beckham Jr. is, he does come with baggage. And I'm not saying that this situation is all his fault. I blame more of the coaching staffs prior to Kevin Stefanski and even now, year two of Stefanski being the head coach, how they did not implement Odell Beckham Jr. into this offense because if they did, I'm sure they would have scored a ton more points than they've already had And think about it, the one game where they scored 42 in LA against the Chargers, Beckham wasn't even in the game. So you would think that if you had, and I believe he wasn't in the game, but you would think that they would have Beckham back in the mix and it's like, oh, now we can really take our offense to another level. Never happened. And we understand last year when he tore his ACL and how the Browns played well, they won a playoff game, they were competitive and had a chance to take the lead against the Chiefs in the divisional round, and everything was grand, high and mighty by Lake Erie to where a lot of people thought the Browns were going to be in contention in the AFC. As we've seen going into the game yesterday, 4-4, four and four, the Steeler game was a disaster, they couldn't move the ball, Baker Mayfield's overthrowing Odell Beckham Jr., one catch for six yards, And everything is in disarray in Cleveland to where they excused Odo Beckham Jr. from practice Wednesday and Thursday. Whatever buyout that they had to he could be off the team come Friday on his birthday, I might add. And then now nobody has been able to make a trade for him. And why would you? You just wait till 4 p.m. today where he could be claimed off waivers. And now here comes the scrum. Who's going to be the first to cross the finish line? in the Odo Beckham Jr. sweepstakes. If you ask me, it's a toss-up. It's one of several teams. I know a lot of people think that the front-runner could be Seattle right now, as of this morning, where a lot of other people think that the dark horse could be the New England Patriots, considering Bill Belichick and how he's picked old receivers off the scrap heap, a la Randy Moss from his days in Oakland, Antonio Brown, as we all know, a couple of years ago, and remember even Chad Johnson, in his days after the Cincinnati Bengals. So would you be surprised if he gets picked up in New England? Absolutely not. But we all know maybe the Packers could be in the mix for a wide receiver. You would think the Los Angeles Rams, not at the Sean Jackson, maybe going to Las Vegas to play for the Raiders. Who knows what they have to do as far as the contracts is concerned. But with everything that the Rams have done here, especially trading for Von Miller earlier in the week, could they bring in another high-profile type of guy, especially on an offense where they need someone to stretch that field. And even though they could have used him last night, but that was all on Matthew Stafford, and we'll get to that in a minute. He could also be potentially going to a place like New Orleans, who is always looking for receiver help, considering Michael Thomas. He's going to be done for the year, as he stated. 
that ankle isn't going to recover anytime soon. So many different directions that you could go with if you're an NFL team looking for a star wide receiver that has fallen on hard times. And by the time I finish editing this puppy, chances are a team is going to claim him. And then let's see how the next chapter in Odell Beckham's football life will be. Now let's turn our attention to the games itself. And I'm going to save my halfway point and how the league has gone until next week because that's when it will officially be the halfway point as a lot of teams will have played their nine games. But the NFL right now, listen, I'm not going to say it's a disaster. And this isn't just based on what's happened here in the past week, but the NFL right now to date has not had a good season. But if there's a flip side to it, it is wide open. As we now usher in the winners and losers of the week. So I'm setting that little tone there. Not only just for today, but more so for next week. But my winners and losers here for week 9. The first team, believe it or not. I'm going to say the Denver Broncos. And I know a lot of people will think, Jay Reels, how is that possible? Kill the Cowboys. They come off a bye. Dak Prescott does not play well. And they just get run over. In their building to the tune of time of possession. Almost 42-18. to 18. Well, I'm going to give it up for Denver for this reason. With the Raiders losing, and I know that the Chargers won, and same with the Chiefs, but they're not going to go far this year. But at least they continue to put themselves with some sort of relevancy in the AFC West. And granted, they have not played the Chiefs yet. They have not played the Chargers yet. Now, they did lose to Vegas already in their building. So they still have... The rest of the year where they have a bunch of division games. And granted, they're not going to go far. We know that they're probably going to end up somewhere between 6-11 and 11 and maybe 9-8. and eight. But I give it up. That was a great road performance by them. They dictated the tempo. Teddy Bridgewater with a big pass down the sideline to Tim Patrick. And give it up for them. I can't just give the same teams week after week. Winners and losers. I got to give a team like the Broncos their shine because they started off 3-0, then they hit the skids, and now with back-to-back wins, they put themselves in a decent position and at least could hang around here for a few more weeks before their season goes under. So they're my winner number one. And then to flip it from last week, winner number two is the Cleveland Browns. Maybe this Odell Beckham Jr., the weight off of them, they put up 41 points in Cincinnati yesterday. They had the pick six to pretty much start the game. That went 99 yards by Denzel Ward. And even though the Bengals got the equalizer on their next drive, but it was all Browns after that. 41-16, had a bunch of big plays, interception returns, long touchdown passes to Donovan Peoples-Jones, a 70-yard touchdown run by uh, Nick Chubb. And the Browns, who knows? Maybe with that Beckham cloud out of Cleveland, they could exhale and maybe get back to basics Who knows if Baker Mayfield will finally get on track as far as consistency goes with his quarterback play. I hope that's not the case as a Steelers fan. But with that being said, I'm going to give the Browns my second winner of the week. Now to get to my losers, the first one right off the bat are the Buffalo Bills. The other Josh Allen was dominant than the Josh Allen that we've come to know and love. The quarterback that is. But no, it was the pass rusher, number 41, who wrecked the game in his own right with an interception on a terrible throw by Allen. That was a rookie mistake by him. He also was sacked by Josh Allen, 
recovered a fumble. Jacksonville, at least for one week, and think about it, they've now won two of their last three games. They maybe could not turn their season around to be of any relevance, but who knows? Maybe the team is starting to play better. They have a little confidence and a little wind in their sails. But this is right now all on Buffalo, a team that a lot of people thought were going to be at the top of the AFC. And when it all said and done, it possibly could be the case. But as we talked about last week, the AFC is as wide open as ever and evidenced by Buffalo's play yesterday. Only six points against a Jacksonville defense. It's not going to be confused with the team that went to the AFC Championship game a few years ago with Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell, guys like that. So Buffalo losing number one, just a pitiful performance there in Jacksonville. I also got to throw some shade at the Rams because, and this is me is all on Matthew Stafford because Stafford threw an interception that was similar to Josh Allen's yesterday, but in the shadow of his own goal line, inexplicable. Tennessee just was able without Derrick Henry to put up points. Ryan Tannehill did the job. The Ram defense was nowhere to be found. And pick sixes, uh, just a terrible performance by Matthew Stafford. His first real bad performance here. But the thing is, if that happened on the road, would you live with it? I guess you have no choice. But because it was at home, and it was their second loss where both of the games were losses at home and where they weren't even in the game. Remember the loss of the Cardinals earlier this year. Terrible performance. So they're my loser number two. And I'm going to throw one more other team in the mix. After winning against Tampa the week before, how did you not come out and show up at home against the Atlanta Falcons? Is beyond me if you're a Saint fan because the Saints get the third whack behind the woodshed. Not only did they start off trailing 17-3 and 24-6 in the fourth quarter. They mount a valiant comeback to where they take the lead 25-24 with a minute to go. They miss a key two-point conversion. And key because what happens? The Falcons go right down the field and kick the game-winning field goal as time expires with no time on the clock, 29 yards, young Heiku. And the Saints, for all... That took place the week before, losing their quarterback. Trevor Simeon coming in. They beat the Buccaneers in their building. Get a good sense of the NFC South where, hey, it's not going to be all Tampa. And what do they do? They fluster right down the toilet the week after. And we all know division games are hard, even at home. And the Falcons, they can't show promise on offense, although we know that they're snake bit beyond belief. But man, terrible job there by the Saints. There's no if ands, buts, maybe's about it. And that's going to start our winners and losers segment. And to get to the rest of the Schedule here, Thursday night, Colts and Jets. Do I really even need to get into that? I know Mike White was knocked out of the game. Chances are he may perform this week, although Josh Johnson was very good in the game. But the Colts pretty much were in control, 45-30. Away you go there. Some of these other games I'm not even going to get into. Do I really need to get into the Texans and Dolphins? Seriously? 17-9? Same with New England and Carolina, 24-6. But I will say this. With Buffalo losing and New England winning, they're a half game behind in the, in the division and they have not played each other yet. So, are the Patriots a live dog here? Are they a team that we're going to have to keep on our radar? And granted, they've beaten nobody this year. The Jets twice, Houston, Carolina. Okay, they were in games against Dallas and Tampa at home. All right, I'll grant you that, but they ended up losing both. But I I can't really take this Patriot team, and I don't care if Belichick is coming up with schemes 
plays, whatever, that have come from the football gods, whether your name is Paul Brown, Vince Lombardi, Don Shula, etc. I'm sorry, I'm still not sold on this Patriot team. So, but they have to be talked about in the mix as far as the AFC East is concerned. So, with, with a 24-6 game against the Carolina Panthers, oh, what is there really to talk about? If you ask me, zilch. I can't even really get into this Green Bay-Kansas City game because Jordan Love in his first start was not good. But at the same time, he was running for his life, making throws as if he was in a sandlot or in the schoolyard. And the Chiefs, nobody's going to write home about this victory because they were not impressive on offense. And they made the Packers look like the 62-packer defense going back to Lombardi. This was a game that was not exciting, was not thrilling. And even with Aaron Rodgers out of it, the Packers were still in the game, which is mind-boggling because you thought this game would have... 30 to 10 written all over it, considering no Rodgers, and you would think that the Chiefs would get on track. Not the case. Who knows what the Chiefs this year? I think they're going to be a team that's going to struggle. Why would they all of a sudden turn the switch on and start playing the way they did going back the last several years? I can't see that happening. Mahomes was pedestrian at best. Not a good performance. 13 points at home against the Packers. Ugh. Terrible. The Giants beating Vegas. I know you had a big day in the secondary day with uh, Xavier McKinney, including a pick six. I know Vegas, with everything we talked about with Ruggs, listen, they were due to have a bad loss, and that was a bad loss, but what are you going to do? With everything that's been circling around that team for the last month, they were due for a stinker, and that's what you got there. Baltimore, do I have to throw bouquets at Lamar Jackson? Now, granted, 21 rushes for 120 yards. If he's going to sustain that over the rest of this year, then you're going to have to check his blood because we know how talented he is. He's dynamic. He's exciting, everything. But that is not going to be sustainable for this offense where although he's gotten better throwing the football, but he's still, you can't trust him in the pocket. And as I've said, if you listen to the intro, just a little subliminal message, he could put up all these numbers in November, December. But let me see this in January, February. That's it. Case closed. But Minnesota, that was a game that they should have won. Although they came back there to tie the game, but they lose in overtime. And the Vikings, uh, what could you say? They're going to have a long year. And the Ravens right now, they're looking like the top team in the AFC. And not just based on their record, but you could look at Tennessee 7-2, and two, yes. But to me, Baltimore is dangerous because of how they won these games. And granted, yes, we know who Tennessee's beaten along the way. Buffalo, KC, although that comes with a little bit of a caveat. And then yesterday at LA. But we know that the Ravens are dangerous. Especially when they're clicking. So that's a team we have to keep an eye on. I mentioned about the Chargers beating the Eagles in Philadelphia. Last minute field goal there. As they go back to the West Coast. Stealing a victory out of the city of brotherly love. Didn't really follow that game. I was more in tune on the Green Bay Kansas City game. Looked like Jalen Hurts made some plays. But still they fell short. As the Chargers get back in the win column after a couple of bad losses. Arizona-San Francisco, just a bad job overall. When Colt McCoy's your starting quarterback and Kyler Murray's not playing, no DeAndre Hopkins, we know J.J. Watt is on the shelf for the rest of the year. And for them to go into San Francisco, or really Santa Clara, and pretty much cruise to a 31-17 victory, Kyle Shanahan, I don't know, but you're going to have to go back to the drawing board, my guy, because... What happened a couple of years ago, making it to the Super Bowl, since then, your team has nosedived. And I don't want to hear injuries. I don't want to hear this, that, and the third. 
but just a bad performance there by the Niners at home against a beaten-up and Kyler Murray-less Cardinal team. And we talked a little bit about Cleveland-Cincinnati. Bad job by the Bengals here. You can't follow up what you did last week to the Jets. I understand third game in a row on the road, but now you come home. And to me, that was just going to be a tough, not tall order, but it was going to be a tough task considering what took place in Cleveland over the past week. Losers to the hated Steelers, the Odell saga, and then now to have the Browns come in and just beat your brains in. If you're Zach Taylor and company, now you're starting to tread with water and you're going to need a life preserver soon because now the Bengals are in territory where this franchise hasn't seen in quite some time. So now they're going to really have to pick up the pieces and see where they could go from here. Other than that, that's your NFL Week 9. Your buy teams were Detroit, Seattle, Tampa, and Washington. You have Chicago and Pittsburgh tonight. And as I mentioned last week, Tomlin, the coach of the Steelers, has not beaten the Chicago Bears in his tenure as he's 0-3 against them. Let's see if they could break that snide and get themselves to 5-3 and as we get closer to the halfway point or really past the halfway point next week. And as we look at the schedule, again, not a schedule. And this goes back to what I said before with this NFL season. I understand every week is not going to be five-star games. You're not going to have four or five matchups where you're going to wrap your arms around or get crazy or get uh, just break out the pom-poms for woohoo NFL but again when it goes back to the gambling aspect when it goes back to fantasy and all that it doesn't matter it could be two ants going up against one another and they're going to rally around the sets whether one ant's wearing a Green Bay jersey and the other's wearing an LA Ram jersey they're going to gamble on that because it's football related and your Thursday night game to kick us off is Baltimore at Miami this game has 38-10 written all over it for the Ravens And then, Sunday, I'll even go to the 425 games just to be generous. Your 425 game is Seattle at Green Bay, and who knows if Aaron Rodgers is going to play, and we don't know for sure if Russell Wilson is going to play, although I believe the fingers on the mend, I don't know if he's going to be able to start, but this is going to be a huge game for Seattle as they need to try to creep into this playoff picture. And they're coming off a bye, so we'll see if they'll be reinvigorated and ready to go at Lambeau come next Sunday. Your Sunday night game is Kansas City at the Vegas Raiders. Man, could they flex out of that with the quickness? That is not a game that you're going to, again, unless you have your fantasy players, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, whomever, Darren Waller, I'm not going to be crazy about this game. Monday night, the Rams in San Francisco. And here's the rest of your Week 10 slate. Atlanta at Dallas. New Orleans at Tennessee. Eh, Not bad. Jacksonville Indy, Cleveland, New England. All right, not bad either, but here we go. Buffalo at the Jets, Detroit at Pittsburgh, Tampa at Washington, Carolina at Arizona, Minnesota at the Chargers, Philadelphia at Denver. Other than Cleveland, New England, and I'll even give you New Orleans, Tennessee, give me another good game on that schedule. You can't give me one. That's how bad it is, and that's how the season's been. Your buys are Chicago, Cincinnati, the Giants, and Houston. All right, so you got some bad teams that are out. Chicago, the Giants, and Houston that you don't have to see this coming week. All right, fine. Well, you don't really have another good game. See, even Seattle, Green Bay. If a healthy Russell Wilson and a 100% Aaron Rodgers back from COVID, all right, I'll give you that. But you're going to have Jordan Love against potentially Geno Smith? Huh. 
One more time. I know you can't get crazy every week with four or five games that you could really sink your teeth into. I understand. But this is, I mean, these last few weeks have been an abomination. There's no way to slice it. But we follow it and we watch. And football is going to carry us pretty much into the middle of February. So for the NFL fan, rejoice because we're going to be talking a lot of football between now and Valentine's Day. All right, now let me segue to some college football because it seems like week after week there's always a developing story or there's always a team that's going to get knocked off his perch. So whether that team is Iowa, whether that team is Michigan, and now another Big Ten team falls by the wayside, and that would be Michigan State. And I don't know if this was a letdown game considering they beat Michigan at home, and then when they had the college football playoff rankings come out, to where the top four teams in the country, and there could have been debate, no doubt about it, but the first edition had Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oregon. So a lot of people thought, hey, where's Oklahoma? Another faction. Hey, where's Cincinnati? Those teams were sixth and seventh in that particular ranking. So you already know from those two areas there was going to be an argument as to whether or not those teams deserve it where you have Michigan State, granted they're in the Big Ten and maybe you know they do belong in that discussion, but I'm sure a lot of people rather would have seen Ohio State, but then the Oregon fan would have been like, wait, we beat Ohio State and they already have one loss, so that cancels that out. So they had to put Michigan State there, but guess what? They're not going to be there any longer based on their loss at Purdue, and Purdue give them credit. They've beaten two top five teams this year in Iowa and Michigan State where Aiden O'Connell the quarterback was 40 of 54 for 536 yards and three touchdowns and even Kenneth Walker with his five touchdowns against the Wolverines the week before and him trying to pull off some more heroics with three touchdowns on, on his own but the killer was in the fourth quarter as Michigan State was inching closer to the goal line looking to make it within one score at 34-21. And the quarterback, Peyton Thorne, throws a pick in the end zone with 9.41 to go, and that pretty much sealed the deal for the Spartans. And you can pretty much forget about them. Even if they do run the table and win a Big Ten championship, that's the only way they're going to get into the top four. And I'll get into that in a little bit as far as how I think this is going to shape out. But a couple other teams that have fell, Wake Forest was a team that nobody saw coming. And by them being up 14 in the fourth quarter, but they give up 24 unanswered points to UNC. And UNC is a tough team. They're a team that was ranked as high as 25th just a couple weeks ago. But then they've been in some tough matches, whether it was against Notre Dame in particular just a few weeks ago. And then even... Just a couple days with the Deacon Demons. And for them to pull off that upset. And for them to come back from 14 down just to blitz with a 24 point barrage. And not to say Wake Forest is going to be anywhere close to the top. Or even in the discussion when it comes to the college football playoff. But you could say Sayonara to them. Other than that. You do have a couple other games, other teams, but I'm talking about the college football playoff. I'm not going to get teams that are ranked below 10 down to 25 
because as we look at this here upcoming week and the games that you're going to look at will be Michigan at Penn State and Penn State's long gone but we know Michigan on the road let's see how they respond here with the loss just eight nine days ago to Michigan State and knowing that they have to go on the road to win a big game which will speak volumes because remember after Thanksgiving they have Ohio State coming into their building and if they have any shot of making it to the college football Final Four. They need to win these games in the worst way. Oklahoma and Baylor. That's a big game because with Oklahoma being 8th in the country right now and then Baylor 12th, who knows if that's going to sabotage Oklahoma's chances of making it to the top four. And we know Oklahoma, despite being undefeated, has not had a good year. I know the Texas win was huge in coming from behind there about a month ago, but they have not beaten teams the way they should have, whether it's Tulane in particular in that opening week. Uh, I believe Tulsa was another one where they just pretty skated by. And they've been pretty much winning these games, not saying by the skin of their teeth, but they have not been their Oklahoma dominant selves of years past to where they could pretty much fortify their position as being that team that's going to be in the top four. As we see, they're currently ranked eighth right now based on them playing down to their competition. But that's a game we have to watch out for. And then Purdue, I'm only bringing this up because of what they've done so far, but I can't see them with what they've done in disposing the Hawkeyes and disposing the Spartans to go to Columbus to upset the Buckeyes in their building. I can't see it. I could see Ohio State trouncing the Boilermakers here. Now watch, Purdue be in the game in the fourth quarter. They may spit the bit there, but... We'll keep an eye on that. Those are the games to look out for. For nostalgia's sake, you want to look at Miami, Florida State. For the diehard, you can, but that's nobody's going to watch that. And as we take an early look at this, Georgia, obviously, and even if they lose to Alabama, and Bama's a team, as I've said, weeks on end, and they were not impressive against LSU either. To the point where Alabama and their offensive line Bryce Young did not play well. They did not have a running game to even speak of. As they were atrocious, LSU actually had their chances in the fourth quarter as they got into Alabama territory several times, but the Crimson Tide defense, which has had their moments this year where they've given up big plays, long yardage, etc. They clamped down. They made the stops. And LSU actually had a shot to win that game, but LSU, this is not the team that won a national title just two years ago. They have... Certainly falling on hard times, whereas we all know the head coach is on his way out. But be that as it may, with their warts and all, Alabama, if they lose that game against Georgia, which will we would think is going to be a clash of the Titans and the SEC for the SEC title, I can't see Alabama making it. But my other team that I think I would feel that they're going to be absolutely fine and they're going to make the college football playoff is going to be Ohio State. Ohio State's a team. They never lose to Michigan. Watch this be the year. But I think Ohio State is a team that even with the loss to Oregon, now that's going to be a problem too because if Oregon doesn't lose, then they're going to say, wait, we belong. But I think Ohio State's going to be a team that they're going to pencil their name in for the Final Four. As far as the other two teams, it's up in the air right now. Now we know if Bama wins, Bama and Georgia are both going to go. And people are going to say, wait a minute, why is Georgia going to go if they're a one-win team if Oklahoma's undefeated? Well, look at the strength of schedule and what they've had to deal with here throughout the course of the season and everything that I've chronicled with Oklahoma. 
and nothing has improved there. So even if you have an undefeated team, same for Cincinnati, people are going to say, wait a minute, why is it Cincinnati there if both Alabama and Georgia are there? It's going to be an argument, no matter how you cut it. But I think, and I think Georgia's going to beat Alabama in the SD Championship, which will be bye-bye Bama, thank goodness. But with, And I think they could even be picked off by Auburn the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So that's a game you have to watch out for as well. But I think when it's all said and done, that the college football Final Four, I think it's going to be Georgia, Ohio, not in this order, but Georgia, Ohio State. If Notre Dame keeps winning, I'm going to say Cincinnati. And I'll say that because I think college football... Depending on how this shakes down, and I wouldn't be surprised if it does, but I think they're going to want to have a team like Cincinnati in the Final Four because A, it's something different, but B, they want to see another team outside of the usual suspects that we've seen over the years. And pretty much it has been Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, the usual suspects. And obviously we're not going to see Clemson this year. It's quite possible we may not see Alabama this year. You're going to see a Big Ten team. I would think it's going to be Ohio State. That's why I bring them up. And the fourth team, up in the air right now, I'd want to say Oklahoma, but how could you not pick Oregon? They're going to have to take a team from the Pac-12. Why not them? And I'm sure there's going to be a furor if Ohio State makes it and Oregon doesn't. Because people are going to say, How is it that Ohio State makes it and we both have one loss, but we beat them and we're not in the Final Four? So imagine that. Georgia, Cincinnati, Oregon, Ohio State, and you're not going to see an Oregon-Ohio State matchup. Chances are it's probably going to be... Now, I guess you could put Cincinnati 1-4, and although if they're undefeated, which chances are they will be, there would probably have to be a two seed. So you may look at an Ohio State-Cincinnati where you have an Oregon-Georgia matchup in the Final Four because the last thing they want to have is Oregon and Ohio State go at it again. If they were to do that, they would rather see that in a national championship as opposed to the semifinal. So that's why I see as it is right now. And we know a lot of college football to be played, but... And crazy things have happened. And who knows, with the way that the season's unfolded, I'm sure we may not even see any of these teams other than Georgia, I would think. Because Georgia, to me, they're a lock. But who knows? If Ohio State loses another game, they're gone. We know if Bama loses, they're gone. And then it's a free-for-all as to who gets the other three spots. So we'll keep our eyes on that. All right, before we turn our attention to the NBA and NHL, let's put the... 2021 season to bet as far as baseball goes and it really isn't much to discuss we all know that going into that game six last week where I was hoping to see a game seven between the Braves and Astros well that just went out the window or really out of the stadium when Jorge Soler just bombed that 3-2 pitch into the Houston night to where the Braves for the first time since 1995 win a World Series the second World Series championship since they moved to Atlanta from Milwaukee and the one thing I'll say about it when we look at the history of the Braves especially in the 90s when they won all of those division titles and we know only one World Series to boot and here it is the most unexpected World Series win that 
we haven't seen in quite some time based on where they were from in the middle of the year or really as you got into August because they're the first team to be so late to get at 500 to win a World Series and I believe it was August 6th which happened to be the day where the Mets lost their grip of first place in the National League East but that wasn't to the Braves it was actually to the Phillies because they were in Philadelphia that weekend and got swept but the Braves for winning 88 games and for them to go on and beat the Brewers, the Dodgers, and of course the Astros here. And those unexpected playoff and World Series victorious runs are the ones that will be etched forever in the minds and hearts of Braves fans everywhere. And not to say it erases what happened in the 90s because you can't really erase that, but there is a sense of euphoria because I'm sure the Brave fan, forget about even in August, I'm sure at the start of the postseason they're probably thinking, nah, we're not going to win the World Series. Hey, maybe we could go seven games against the Dodgers or maybe we'll get to a World Series but lose. Nobody in their right mind thought that the Braves were going to win a World Series. So here they are. Last team standing. Congratulations. We know what a tremendous job that they've done. You got to give them credit. Tip your cap, etc. But now, as I said earlier, it's time to fasten your seatbelts because... Baseball is going to be in for it here. And I do not have a crystal ball to think that the powers that be for the Players Association and the owners, in particular Rob Manfred, the commissioner, and obviously Tony Clark, the head of the Players Union, that they're going to come to some sort of agreement between now and December 1st. And who knows what that's going to do to affect free agency, Who knows how long and drawn out this is going to be. There have been some reports that, yes, we could be sitting here February 1st without a deal, but it may not go past March 15th. And even if that's the case, if it's March 15th, you're already going to look at a compromise season because what are you going to do? You're going to start your exhibition season, let's say March 15th, and then have literally two weeks before you could ramp up pitchers, catchers, rosters, signings, etc., and then start your baseball season, I believe, what, April 1st? Or whatever it is in 2022? It's not going to happen. And we know what a lot of this talk is going to be about, whether it's going to be not necessarily a salary cap, but you know that the owners do not want to pay these older players, a la Freddie Freeman, or in years past, Robinson Cano, or Albert Pujols, that 10-year, 250, or even God dare I say, $300 million contract to a player who is getting into the latter part of his career or the start of the back nine of his career. Owners don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, they'll pay the superstar. They'll pay the 27, 28-year-old or even the 22-year-old a la Fernando Tatis Jr. But no, they don't want to have to dole out big money to guys that are going to pretty much put their teams or put their luxury tax which is at a premium to begin with for some of these organizations to not have to go over that. And therefore, you're going to be in not only just luxury tax hell, but purgatory as far as competing in baseball. And that's going to be the beginning of it. Forget about expanding playoffs and universal DH and a bunch of other things that the players, they want to have in their back pocket for negotiations purposes to see if they could have the owners give a little more than the owners taking, it's going to be a mess, people. I can't see this being cleaned up anytime soon. 
And would I be surprised come March 1st that agreement has not been made and that the season is going to be delayed? Absolutely not. And that's why I'll leave it with baseball. There's nothing else more to be said between the Braves championship and what's going to happen this offseason. That's it. Hold your breath. And if you're going to do that, I hope you have some big lungs because it is going to be a long, cold, hard winter for Major League Baseball. All right, now let's get to the NBA here. And it looks like there's going to be another developing story with an owner who has been misbehaving based on an ESPN report that was uncovered last week. And even though there were a lot of rumblings and some speculation behind the behavior of the Phoenix Suns owner, Robert Sarver, but now with investigations underway and with a lot of the sports world as it is here in 2021 when it comes to owners and how they've been acting towards staff, personnel, players, coaches, etc., You know that the NFL isn't going to play and they're going to act swift if a lot of this or a lot of these accusations are going to come true to where there's been racist, misogynistic talk with the aforementioned owner to where Chris Paul, he's looking at it and he's been down this road before with Donald Sterling with the Clippers back in 2014. He says, no, we're just focused on basketball. We'll let that play out in its own right. And it's good that they have a leader like that on the team. As we've seen last year, they made it to the NBA Finals. But knowing that he could talk to this young squad and say, hey, we got to focus on what's on the court, not what's happening off the court. We'll let it play out. And all we could do is control what we can control. And that's smart on him. And it's great that they have a leader like that to where they're not going to be engulfed in any controversy or any of these accusations to where they're going to be asked every five minutes about, Oh, has Robert Sarver said this to you? Have you seen any displays of whatever? Racism, misogyny, etc. But if all this stuff is true, he's got to go. We saw it with Donald Sterling. We've talked about it recently with Daniel Snyder. And we know, again, going back to the NFL and the impenetrable shield, that even with its dings and its bullet marks and maybe even some crowbar dents, the NFL will still ride into the sunset or ride off down the road as if nothing happened. Where the NBA, and it's sad because the NFL, they shouldn't get a pass for anything. Because if these leagues have been taking hits, whether it's through the press, fans, etc., the NFL should also go through the same thing. But again, they're the high mighty NFL. With that aside, if all this stuff is true, we know Sarver is going to be on his way out and the NBA will take over They'll own the team and they'll find somebody just like they did in 2014 where you had Steve Ballmer by the team. And as we all know, he's taken that franchise to places where Donald Sterling could only have dreamt of. And that's how they got to handle it. Told there is to it. Sarver, come on. Some of the stuff that I read with Earl Watson when he was the coach going back, I believe, 2014, ironically, the same year with the Donald Sterling incident, where throwing around the N-word... And for Earl Watson, obviously being taken aback, he's of course refuted that. His team, the people surrounding Sarver have, Sarver have refuted that, but the investigation's underway and I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to come out of this. And Sarver, I get it. You've got away with it for this long and who knows, maybe they're just that, accusations. But 
you would think there's going to be some stuff coming out of it and there's too many people, I guess, behind not only the article, the person who wrote it, and I can't tell you who it is because I give him some credit, but we shall see. Because, as we all know, if it doesn't come out in the wash, it's going to come out in the rinse and Sarver may end up being on his ass on his way out the door. So we'll see what happens there. As far as what's happening on the court, Remember we talked about that shift in the Eastern Conference where we saw the Knicks, the Wizards, the Hornets, all these teams pretty much being near the top or at the top of the conference? Well, no shock. A lot of these teams have come back down to earth to where the Knicks, who were 5-1 and one and riding high, went from 1-7 to seven in a week. The Wizards, uh, they dropped a couple of notches, but they were number two, now they're four. But now the cream is starting to rise to the top, whether you're the Sixers winning six straight, and now with Joel Embiid out for COVID. Now, I don't know what his status is. I don't know if he's been vaccinated or not. So who knows if he's going to be out for five days or for 10 days. That remains to be seen. But the Sixers have taken their mighty perch atop the Eastern Conference. The Heat right behind them. The Brooklyn Nets as well as they've been winners of five in a row. And the Bulls, Knicks, Hornets, have fallen down. Even the Bucks, they've not played well. They've still, they got spanked by the Knicks there a few nights ago. So the East has gotten back to some sort of semblance of what we would seen it, but the Bucks are still below the top eight in the East so far after three weeks. So the Cavs have played very well here. Give it up to them as they won four in a row. So they may be a team you have to watch out for a little bit with their good backcourt. Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. Celtics now, Jalen Brown is nursing a hamstring injury, and I should have picked the Celtics as an under. I know it's easy for me to say that now, but I thought about it long and hard, and I said to myself, I could see the Celtics being under 46 and a half, and I didn't choose that. What did I choose instead? The Golden State Warriors as an under, and boy, am I looking like a giant fool for that selection right now. But other than that, I'm not going to get too crazy. I know LeBron, he's going to be out for a week dealing with an abdominal issue. So, you have to wonder. We know how indestructible LeBron has been over the years. And granted, his first year in LA, he had that groin injury where he was out for about 17, 18 games. And then last year, he had to deal with some injuries. And now you have this. Is this going to be a thing where we're going to see a ton of nagging injuries for LeBron and that he's not going to be his usual self, especially as you get deeper into the year and into the postseason? That's a story you got to watch out for. Whether he's going to have to take more time off, whether he's going to have another thing pop up, I think now it's safe to say that the LeBron injury watch is going to be on our radars here because the guy is 37, he's played 19 years in the league and he's been basically bulletproof throughout. Now you're starting to see the warts coming out as far as the injury history, especially over the last few years. So we'll have to keep our eye on that. And then out west, like I mentioned, the Warriors 8-1 and and it's not even with Klay Thompson. The Lakers right now on the outside looking in, is that a surprise? Not really. But we just can't go crazy here the first couple of weeks of the season or once we get to at least a month in, then when we get towards Christmas, that's a good barometer, obviously with all the Christmas Day games as I mentioned in the past. But we just can't get too giddy or too crazy looking at these win-loss totals just a few weeks in and think that, oh, this is going to be it for the rest of the year. As we saw the Eastern Conference from one week to the next get flipped upside down to where it should be. 
And that's all you pretty much have here with the association right now. And the same for the NHL, although you have some interesting stories there. And the first one being Jack Eichel. I talked about this in the summer, and just to give you a little refresher on it, Jack Eichel was the number two pick in 2015 after Connor McDavid, franchise player, center for the Sabres, a team that hasn't really done much during his time in Buffalo, but he has performed. He is a guy that you're going to buy the jersey, you're going to rally around, he's going to be on the cover of the media guide, etc., face of the franchise, the whole nine. But last year, he suffered a neck injury to where the camp of Jack Eichel wanted to get this different type of surgery other than your typical neck fusion surgery because A, this new type of surgery, although it's never been performed in league history, but they feel it's going to be better long-term for their client. And that was a risk that the Sabres did not want to take because they figured let's just go the old-fashioned route with the fusion surgery, have them come back, and away we go, where obviously there's no guarantee with the fusion surgery. But then... They felt that that was the devil that they do know better than the devil you don't know with this other surgery that I talked about last week with Eichel. Well, they finally bid adieu to their one-time superstar as they traded them to the Vegas Golden Knights. What they got back in return, listen, I can't tell you from a hole in the wall, but when we look at this trade on a whole, was this a win more for the Sabres or more for the Golden Knights? It's risky from this regard. Not only that the surgery is highly risky and come to think of it, it's an artificial disc replacement. So they want to do that. That was the representatives of Eichel. They wanted to go that route over the fusion surgery that I mentioned. But knowing that they're going to go that route and the Golden Knights were all for it. They figure, hey, let's give it a shot. We understand this has never been performed on an NHL player ever, but they figured, let him get the surgery now. Once he gets it, he could skate in six weeks, and then in three months, he'll be cleared for contact. So you're not looking until late February, March, let's say after the Winter Olympics, to when Eichel may be in an NHL arena skating in a game for the first time in quite some time. So here's the risk that's involved, not just the surgery itself, but how effective is Eichel going to be? Forget about coming out of the gate because he still has four more years left on his deal on top of this year. But is he going to be the same player? Is he going to be a guy that once he gets hit and this artificial disc, who knows, it goes sideways, it goes up, down, left, right. Who knows that's going to be it for Eichel at that point? So surgery aside, which we all know that's a coin flip, but now you got to wonder whether or not this is going to be sustainable for not only just when he comes back, but for the remainder of the year and for his entire career. So that's number one. And then going the other way, I know they gave up a first rounder in 2022, a third rounder in 2023, Peyton Krebs and Alex Took. These guys, I don't, I wouldn't know if they fell on me and as far as how good they'll be. I'm sure they're going to be put right into the lineup if they haven't already been and will probably pay some dividends. But are they anywhere near the ilk of Jack Eichel when he's 100% healthy? I can't say that. So 
this is a trade that unfortunately you're going to have to grade until Eichel has played a handful of games. And what I mean by that, let's just say the rest of the season, if he does come back and into a postseason. Because there's no way to gauge on whether or not he's going to be effective, he's going to be what he once was prior to the injury, etc. And how this surgery is going to be of a benefit for him down the road as far as the rest of his playing days are concerned, as opposed to the fusion surgery, which a lot of the teams and a lot of the players, it's a lot more relatable and that they've been able to play with the surgery. And I can't even tell you what player has had that to where I could say, oh yes, we could use that player as a barometer. But it's a big giant question mark. It's a big unknown. And we're not going to know until he's playing not just a week, two weeks, but a good chunk of games. And unfortunately, we're not going to know for quite some time. The other big story last week in COVID raging throughout the course of the United States in certain pockets. We talked about Aaron Rodgers at the beginning, mentioned Joel Embiid, and also got Sidney Crosby. Remember, he was on the IR there at the start of the year with that wrist surgery that he had, and then he came back, and then now he's back on COVID. Now, I don't know if he's out. That was in the middle of last week. I would think that if he had been vaccinated, he would probably come back at some point this week. But there's a guy that a lot of people... Of course, no one love and we're, I'm sure, happy to have him back playing as that familiar face, although aging and maybe giving a one last go around for the Penguins to see if they could still lift that championship window. But with him being out and the Penguins right now in last place in the Atlantic, who knows, A, how long he's going to be out and B, if he's going to pay off any dividends upon his return. And we know that if Genny Malkin's been out for quite some time, we don't know what his timetable is. But when we take a look across the ice, the Florida Panthers, even with everything we talked about last week, they have not skipped a beat. They still haven't lost a game in regulation. 10-0-1 as of this morning. And the Panthers are actually playing the Rangers tonight, the local team where the Rangers, who have gotten out of the gate pretty well, but they've lost three in a row. They had a tough West Coast trip where they won in Seattle, but then they lost an overtime game in Edmonton, also lost in Vegas. And the Panthers are, you have to say, hands down, one of the top stories, if not the top story in the NHL, considering that they had to lose their head coach as he resigned amidst that scandal in Chicago with the video coach and the former player, Kyle Beach. Carolina's also played very well here to start. Their year, 9-1. and one. They were undefeated up until this weekend. Also, the Edmonton Oilers playing very well. Frantic right out the gate. They had that great game against the Rangers that went into overtime with Leon Dreisaitl getting the winner. And, of course, the dipsy do through the defense one-on-four with Connor McDavid against the Rangers there Friday night to get the equalizer before pushing the game into overtime and when they won the game. But some early disappointments... Colorado, a lot of people thought that they were going to come out of the West as a cup finalist. They haven't gotten their footing as they're 4-5-1 struggling here early on this year. I know the Islanders with all their road games and they have played well here, although they lost in Minnesota last night, but they did win in Vegas. They did win in Winnipeg and 
their road trip continues as they'll finally have a home game a week from this coming Saturday to open up that UBS arena. So you know they're going to be going through it here over the next couple of weeks before they get some home cooking. Other than that, Tampa, eh, a little slow out of the gate, but they played well. Toronto has righted the ship. They've won five in a row after their slow start. Uh, Montreal, they've not played well. Just goes to show you how that team made it to a Stanley Cup final, and a lot of people thought they weren't going to come anywhere close to making the playoffs, and they're certainly showing that with their terrible start, 3-10-0, which actually is not even the worst record in the league. That distinction belongs to the Arizona Coyotes. They're 1-10-1 with only three points and a team that does not have a home next year. So boy, maybe that organization is starting to check out to see where they're going to move to. Maybe they're going to go to Houston. Who knows if they're going to stay in Arizona because that arena, they're saying goodbye after this year. Ugh, Just awful when it comes to the Coyotes. But that's what you have here in the early going in the NHL. I know the Wild have played well. As I mentioned, they beat the Islanders last night. They're now 8-3. and three Atops the Central where the Blues were pretty much holding the fort there the first couple of weeks of the season. NHL will definitely get into. I'm going to find it fascinating. Now that they're on ESPN, you get to see them more often. They're not on this nondescript NBC Sports Network or even before that. Remember they were on Versus. You couldn't find that station. So knowing that they are on all the ESPN platforms, of course, the network itself, ESPN Plus, if you have that, it's going to be a lot easier to follow and watch throughout the course of the year. So we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. And then to close out, I want to talk about two things that are relative to the sport of fighting, and that would be boxing and MMA. And the first one I'll get into will be Canelo Alvarez, who won on Saturday night against Caleb Plant, He now has unified all four titles in the super middleweight division. Which now begs the question, and when you look at the record of 57-1-2 with, what is it, 39 knockouts I believe he has throughout his career. Now when we look at the history of boxing and we look at the great fighters, as much as I've been disconnected with the sport and as much as I have not followed it, the way I should and why, only because the sport has become just an abomination. It's an absolute joke. It's a far cry from what it once was. And as much as I tip my cap off to Alvarez and what he's done for his career, and rightfully so, his record is his record. And I get you could say for someone like Floyd Mayweather, who's been perfect, and we could question a lot of different fights and things of that nature, as I could do for Alvarez too. But it's going to be tough for me to sit here and say... Because A, I haven't watched a ton of his fights. B, I haven't followed the sport as I follow from afar. But you may have to consider Canelo Alvarez to be ranked among the top fighters of all time. And again, you're asking the wrong person as far as being that guy that's watched fight after fight, knows the ins and outs, ups and downs, etc. Because a lot of the track record that he's had over the years and you could even go as far back as Shane Mosley now we could dissect each of these fights and dissect each of these fighters that he's had and you could say oh this guy was past his prime oh he's this guy wasn't the same all right we could look at even the fights that he had with Triple G Golovkin where a lot of people think that there could be another fight on the horizon 
which I don't know if people want to see or don't want to see. Maybe they say, ah, I've seen that movie a couple times. I don't need to see it again. Or if you want to look at even the Mayweather fight. And that was a highly anticipated bout going in, but coming out, it wasn't one that you're going to write home about to think that, wow, that was one of the best fights I've seen of all time. Same for Amir Khan. Same for Miguel Cotto, which was way well past his prime. I mean, we could talk about all these different fights. And yes, his record is what his record is. And yes, we could say that he does belong there considering the longevity, considering the record, etc. But if I'm going to rank him, and if I'm going to take a look at the career, and I know and understand I can't compare him to other fighters and other eras, it's unfair. You can't. And you can't even think to say if Canelo Alvarez were to fight someone like Roberto Duran or Marvin Hagler. As much as we could talk about, oh, what would happen? And listen, I got my own bias. You know who I would root for or who I would think would win in a fight. But it's mindless and senseless. But to me, he's not going to rank up with those guys. So if you're going to look at middleweights all time, and we understand he's in separate classes and he's won different belts, different divisions, I get that. But if you're going to look at him as a middleweight, and in this case, super middleweight, he's going to be, if in that top 10, I would think he's going to be more in the middle toward the bottom of that. Because how he's going to crack those top five is beyond me. How does he do it? There's no way that I think that if I'm going to look at a middleweight and take a look at someone like Marvin Hagler or someone like, as I mentioned, Roberto Duran, or you even want to, you even go further back, you know, 70s. You even want to go further. And then we understand if you're going back to the 50s and all that, it's more heavyweights. People are going to look at the Muhammad Ali's, the Joe Lewis's, the Rocky Marciano's. I would get that. But unless I go back on YouTube and look at all his fights and really quantify on whether or not he belongs, let's say top three or top five, maybe he'll be fifth. And maybe I should get a boxing historian to talk about it. But you fight who you fight and I get it. But it's not really an impressive list. Yeah, maybe some of the names stick out and some of the ones that you've come to know and love or have watched through the years of being Hall of Fame fighters. But we all know those fights weren't in the middle of their primes that Alvarez caught these guys at the end. And I get in the last 20 years, you could say that about a lot of guys. And 57-1-2, and 39 knockouts is impressive. Without a doubt. But just because... That's his record. Am I going to already quantify him as being one of the top fighters of all time or the top fighters in his class of all time based on his record? I can't say that. And I know that that's going to be a debate for a lot of the diehard boxing fans to say, Jay Reels, you haven't watched, you haven't paid attention. And you know what? That's why. Hands up, understood. But I do follow the sport enough and I follow some of the big fighters enough to think that, okay, beat this guy. Beat, all right, wow, that was impressive, whatever. Ugh. Is it still enough to crack that top five when we look at the whole resume and compare him to some of the other guys that preceded him? That's the beauty of debating these type of issues and these type of arguments. And me being the old guy, get off my lawn, uh uh-uh. 
He's not going to crack that list. And maybe I need to have somebody talk to me or maybe even be a little, I don't want to say combative, but to debate that and have a serious debate on whether or not he belongs as that all-time great to be one of those top two, three, four, five, five fighters of all time. That's what I'm trying to say. And on the same night, you had an MMA bout where we've seen this not just once, twice, thrice, 10 times, in fact, between Kamaru Usman and Colby Covington. A lot of respect after the fight, as you saw. But it was a close decision to where Usman wins again. And to think, 10 times these guys have fought? I wonder for the diehard MMA fan, and maybe I need to get Frank back on here, Frank Torado, who I had on a few months ago. Does that become tired after a while? To to really see two guys fight 10 times? All right, maybe you're going to fight five times. But 10? That's a lot, man. And I couldn't even tell you what was the record going into this 10th fight. As much as I'm trying to follow the sport a lot more than I ever have. But, you know, Usman, hey, he was landing some big strikes. And Covington, we know he's a warrior inside that octagon. And Usman, you know, he's been just dominant here over his last X amount of fights. But he is victorious. Like I said, close decision. And I know their bouts and doing a little homework here. December 2019, a lot of people think that was one of the all-time great fights in UFC history. When they fought in a fifth-round TKO of Covington, where a lot of people, I guess to this day, look at that as, if not the signature fight or one of the signature fights of the sport's history. So I'm going to have to go back in the archives and watch that and see for myself, and I'm sure it is. I'm certainly not going to debate that or look at it as like oh what are these people no I haven't watched so you know what that's why I need to do my homework and I will continue to do so in order for you guys to keep coming back because credibility is the name when you do something like this and there is no way shape or form that I'm going to try to talk about something I don't know but damn well I'm going to do my homework and make sure that whatever it is that I'm going to put out there that you know damn well it's going to be my honest truth, opinion, thoughts, etc. I'm not going to try to fabricate it or try to make it out to be, oh, hey guys. No, 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 no. No fillers, no artificial ingredients, people, when it comes to that. So we'll keep an eye on Usman and congratulations to him on his bout there and his win on Saturday night. All right, now let's wrap this sucker up. Let's get to my hero in zero of the week. My hero of the week goes to Buster Posey, the San Francisco Giant. Catcher, played 12 seasons, won an MVP in 2012, three World Series titles. We know his resume. He actually passed up on a player option, $22 million this year because he wants to spend more time with his family, his four kids, his twins that he had. I believe they were adopted too, right at the time where he stepped out last year in 2020 for COVID. Just goes to show you the type of guy he is. He feels as if, uh uh-uh, I played enough. I've won. I've made my mark on the sport. Is he a Hall of Famer? 
to me, he's borderline. He doesn't have the dominant numbers, even with the World Series titles and the MVP and et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure he's won a few silver sluggers in the process, but we'll save that for another time. Buster Posey, you are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week goes to Georgia linebacker Adam Anderson, who's being accused for a rape allegation and has been suspended indefinitely from the team. Now, his reps have said that the story is unfounded, unsupported, the investigation is ongoing, but it's obviously not a good look for a team that's been number one all year, pretty much, on the verge of not only just a special year, but possibly a championship year, and to have this kind of news cloud their perfect season to date, Definitely not a good look there if you're Adam Anderson. And hopefully these accusations are found untrue, but uh, not good, my G. You are my zero of the week. So that'll do it. Episode 223, just about in the books, but you know I have to do some housekeeping before I go, as you heard at the very top. And I implore everybody, each and every one of you to do, you know your participation to this podcast is vital. And by you listening to what it is I have to say about the world of sports, I do not take you guys for granted. In fact, you guys are like my marketing team. The marketing team that I don't have, considering I'm this one-man operation, pumping in podcasts week after week and hopefully twice a week. Therefore, with your help by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, please throw me a few stars, leave a review. Again, that will increase the visibility to those who do not know of the J Reels podcast to get that guest to come on. As I said at the very top, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. You could also hit me up on any of my social media accounts on Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels One, just the number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast. Or send me an email at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Any questions, comments, criticism, praise, send them my way. I will definitely follow up with each and every one of you. And then lastly, to support this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. What that does, your contribution is going 100% to this endeavor, whether it's the upkeep of the website, everything that happens with the production, the equipment, anything that you can name. Me putting this up on a weekly basis because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do. It's in my blood, people. I've been doing this for three and a half plus years. I plan to do this for three and a half decades plus as long as the good Lord has me on his beautiful earth. Whatever it is, you know I love to share my thoughts, analysis, opinions on anything and everything that goes on in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.